Welcome to the Alternative Assets Podcast with Stefan and Wyatt. This is not another podcast about stocks or venture capital. This is about the wide world of investment opportunities that aren't discussed as much. Our website and newsletter is at alternativeassets.club, where you can find a transcript of this episode and many more unique investment ideas worth exploring. Now, let's dive in. Hey, everyone. Today, we have a very special podcast episode. It's with Travis Wynn from Zed Run, the blockchain game where you race digital racehorses. That's right. You breed them, you raise them, buy them, sell them, and of course, race them. It's all done on the blockchain using Ethereum. This is truly the intersection of a whole lot of things. It's the intersection of NFTs, for one, video games, and a little bit of uh, gambling. It's three things that on their own, each of them have huge tailwinds, right? And when you combine them all together, it makes for something truly special. So if you're a newsletter subscriber, you know how special this is for me. Zedrun's popularity has recently skyrocketed thanks to a killer community of rabid fans and some huge press in the New York Times last month. But here at Alternative Assets, we've been a fan of Zedrun and we've been talking about Zedrun for a while now, well before it was cool, which is why we are super honored to have Travis on the podcast today. So Travis, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen, man. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for being a fan for such a long time before we were cool, man. <laughs> cool. So the first time I saw Zed Run, man, I don't even know how to explain. I had just an internal aha moment. It just, it blew my mind. T- to me, it was like looking through a, a telescope at another planet, right? Like just looking into another world. And, you know, when, when I tell people about Zed Run or people ask me about it, you know, I, here's how I would describe it. To me, it's like Tamagotchi Pets meets Robin Hood Trading meets Tron. <laughs> I'm just going to write that down and steal that. <laughs> <laughs> that one's it. mine. You can send the commission check to my office. How would you describe Zed Run? I think everyone kind of describes it a little bit differently. So how would you describe it? Yeah, man. So I think like the something that you touched on there is something that's pretty core cool to like how, especially the founders laid out Zed and what we want to do, you know, Zed Run is supposed to live in this alternate dimension, like slightly in the future, you know, Nervous Earth. I'm sure fans of uh, Zed Run and always see Chris Ebling, our, our creative guru, sharing it and leaking it all over social media. So, you know, I think that's a really big part of what we try to do at Zed. You know, at the end of the day, it's a digital horse racing game on the blockchain, which is the functionality of it. But what we really want to do is kind of like transport people to another place where, you know, this Tron-inspired horse racing has become like the biggest sport in the world and it's like the breathing and like the beating heart behind everything that you do so i, I like it man I'm, I, I'm glad that everyone kind of sees it as this otherworldly thing and that's that's kind of what we're going for you know with the metaverse becoming so prevalent and everyone kind of moving towards this really like digitized future we just kind of want to carve zed run out as the sport of the future and i think we were getting there and i think the community is helping us get there yeah it feels otherworldly exactly Huge Tron inspiration. By the way, hats off to your designer designers as well. Um, he or she, they've done a fantastic job. So let's talk about how you got started. I know you weren't there from the very beginning, but what was the inspiration behind Zed Run? Was it kind of, you know, a bunch of horse racing fans got together or was did it start from a slightly different idea? How did this come to be, this other, this other world? So I love telling the story because I don't even know the exact story. I love that it's become like this, like this thing where everyone has a different take on it. So I'll tell you what I think the version was where this all started. So what happened was is that Chris Lawrence, our founder and our CEO, he was very obviously big into horse racing. You know, the Aussies, it's quite a big part of like of Australian culture, like the Melbourne Cup and stuff like that. Yeah, it's huge here. Yeah, it's, it's amazing because it's not really as big here. It's still really prevalent. But I think in the Australian culture, it is like something that's a little bit more accessible to people through the Melbourne Cup. But I think that's where it all started is that he kind of looked at the horse racing events that people did go to and that they loved like the Melbourne Cup, and he had this kind of epiphany where it was like, it's crazy how so many people love it, but you've only got this really select few that have actually got any kind of ownership in the game. You don't really have skin in the game unless you maybe like place a bet at, uh, you know, at the event and on the day. 
but you've only got this really small group of people that own the horses and they breed the horses and they train the horses and they race and then they get to feel that kind of victory. And so, you know, he said, okay, how do we kind of democratize this? How do we spread this out? How do we give the average person real ownership in something like this? And then it kind of just, you know, ballooned. Like the guys looked at NFTs and blockchain and then they thought, okay, this is a great intersection. Horse racing, something we try to democratize. And NFTs and blockchain, which is kind of like decentralizing everything. Yeah, absolutely right. You know, we covered horse racing a couple issues ago. And I mean, it definitely started out as, you know, something just for the wealthy. It's been a little bit democratized, right? Like there's, you know, there's racehorse syndicates. Mm. Um, There's also some fractional racehorse marketplaces, My Racehorse and Commonwealth. But, you know, compared to the democratization that's happening through Zed Run, it's it's like nothing compared to that. So yeah, it's super, super cool to see. Now, in terms of getting started and getting off the ground, you guys have been around for, I mean, under two years. Is that correct? About a year and a half? Yeah, I've, I've been at Zed Run for about a year. And I think it was going for like just under a year when I joined. So probably just under two years. And just in terms of getting off the ground, you've raised a small kind of seed round to get started. And that's that's been it so far. Is that correct? Yeah. So the guys, if I'm correct, they raised a small round in the beginning from some, you know, guys who saw the concept and they just absolutely loved it and they, they dived in. And that kind of was, you know, that little bit of Kickstarter on getting the team up and running and just gaining that early momentum so that they could build out the platform. And so when you start something this unique and this innovative, there's a lot to consider, right? When, you've, when you're going yeah. down a path that's really never been traversed before. So what were some of the challenges there? In particular, I'm interested in the legal considerations, the legal implications. I literally got into a Twitter fight about this like three months ago. There was a guy on Twitter and he was basically saying, uh, uh, yeah, it's popular and addictive, but it's also against U.S. interstate gambling laws to let children race ponies and gamble on virtual races. And I said, well... I mean, they're located in Australia, so I'm not sure how that works, but whatever, buddy. You should have tagged me. I would have come into bat for you. <laughs> oh, good. I should have. Yeah, you could, have, you could have helped out. I think I lost that one, actually. Um, so how, how did you kind of navigate the, not just the financial considerations of getting off the ground, but, you know, the legal considerations as well? I think the legal considerations is something that you're always kind of doing, right? Because you have these, how do I say this, like two issues almost with legal considerations is that you're always trying to, like, we don't want to be a gambling platform. We're a game, you know, we're a game of strategy, we're a game of skill, we're a provably fair game. So whenever we do something, we are keeping that in mind, which makes everything a little bit more difficult sometimes. And number two, we're also kind of like pioneering some of the things in the space, you know, that haven't been done. Like, how do we bring these things to the metaverse? What is the legal considerations when you do that? How does this decentralized platform like work across all these jurisdictions? And I think What's always difficult is, you know, it's things like that. Like people obviously have their own interpretations of what certain legal considerations mean. But I think the key thing to understand is that every time we build a product or do a marketing campaign or make any decision at the business, we're always keeping that in mind. And that's obviously, it adds another layer of fun and difficulty into everything that we do. But it's very interesting. And I think the way that we kind of handle it is that you know, we are always focused on being a game and we're not going to stray from that. And whatever we can do to maintain the integrity of the skill and the strategy part of our game and even build on that and improve on that is something we're just really focused on. And then obviously, you know, just keeping the legal considerations in mind whenever we do something is not necessarily then secondary, but we, we have a clear roadmap and we just try and stick to that roadmap. Very cool. It seems like you guys are well aligned in a tight knit team, despite being pretty spread out over the globe. So the the team is based in Sydney, is that correct? Yes. Well, most of the team is, uh, it's uh, Melbourne and Sydney. If I am, uh, the founding team is Melbourne and Sydney. And so you're in South Africa and there's there's other folks just uh, dispersed around the globe. And as you grow, you're basically becoming a pretty global remote company, it seems like. So being remote and being really spread out globally is another really fun challenge about uh, being at Zed. Um, you know, so while we're trying to be as innovative as we can in a new space uh, around NFTs and the metaverse and, you know, just trying to build our own roadmap because there's not really anything to act off. You know, we can't really look at people, a lot of people that have come before us. There's, there is a lot of inspiration, but it's still a very um, new space. We've also got a really fun challenge of being fully remote and pretty 
pretty global right now. So we've got guys all the way from the east coast of the US all the way to Oz. I am luckily slap bang in the middle. And um, I think I think what happens in initially is it's, it's quite funny to see is that when new team members come on, I think they're a little bit shocked at how willing uh, people are to get up early and stay up late. So I get regular messages uh, from from the Aussies at one in the morning their time, and it's like you know, do you do you sleep? Like, do you know what sleep is? And uh, I think people just get so excited working at Zed that we kind of run in this like adrenaline, but it it works really well. So you know, it it can be challenging, especially when you're onboarding new people, because there's sometimes that you know that break in almost like synchronization. But once everyone is onboarded and everyone kind of gets into that groove, it works really well. You know, so something I love about Zed is that we almost like we function 24 hours a day as a business, which I think is amazing because we have, you know, as I'm going to sleep and it's getting late, then guys in the US are coming online and then they kind of like holding up the flag. And then when, you know, they are heading to bed, uh, the Aussies are getting up and, you know, we've made it work really, really well. Like it's probably the best like team synergy that I've ever had at a company, um, number one. And number two, it's it's just really productive. And I don't know if it's because we all just kind of love what we're doing and we enjoy each other as a team, but it's worked really well for us. And I think it also allows us to stay a little bit more connected to our community, which is obviously a tenant of ours. And I think that's also why we're really happy to kind of take a little bit of the pain of being really spread out is because you have that trickle-down effect into the community, which is awesome for us. Yeah, absolutely. Also, the the digital horse races never sleep, right? So it's good that your your guys are constantly running twenty four seven. You mentioned community. Let's talk about your community for a moment. So there's no way to talk about and understand what Zed Run is without understanding the community. The community is huge part of what you do. It is the main pillar of what we do for sure. See, so your Discord is up to what forty forty five thousand members. I think it may be about fifty or something like that. But yeah, it seems to grow at about five thousand a month. I just I'm tracking it myself, just like eyeballing it. I mean, that's amazing. And it's not just your community, but it's also kind of like the the sub community, so to speak. So obviously, you run the Discord yourself, but I want to make sure everyone understands just how how uh, big uh, Zed Run is getting. Is that there's entire you know, websites dedicated to Zed Run that have not that are completely non-sanctioned. They have nothing to do with you, but they're they're huge. I mean, you've got the Zed Gazette, you've got Zed Run News, you've got ZedStats.run, you've got Know Your Horses, Sigma Stables, Painted Ponies, Zed Run Insights, and Zed Run.tools, and probably a whole lot more that we're uh, we're missing as well. It's incredible. It's but what's fascinating to me is just there's such a disconnect between how active this community is. And, uh, you know, ever since I've been a part of it, I've just noticed just how active and positive the community is. Everyone trying to help each other out to get, get an edge, ask yeah. questions, give advice, give product ideas. It's full of so many rabid fans and YouTube videos. And yet the mainstream media, I mean, for a long time, basically n- nobody seemed to be talking about it up until the uh, recent New York times piece. You guys got like, from what I can tell, essentially like zero coverage from the Aussie tech media and very little mainstream coverage elsewhere. So why do you think that is? I think it was like, uh, I think people heard digital horse racing on the blockchain NFT Ethereum. And they thought, what in God's name is this? <laughs> So, so you're saying like they, they didn't know where to begin or? I think so, man. You know what? I think oh, there's something to remember is like even like six months ago, right? Like we're living in a world right now where like crypto in general is obviously extremely popular, but NFTs especially have come to the fore. But I don't think people realize how quickly the sentiment on NFTs has changed. Like three months ago, you know, beginning of the year, let's say, not like NFTs were still very like, it wasn't something, it wasn't mainstream, like none of the celebrities were touching it. The media didn't want to speak about it. The media didn't know what it was. I mean, you know, we were like in this little corner and NFTs were cool. You had like Top Shots, for example, that were, that was kind of like paving the way. And that was becoming mainstream. That started everything. That, that, that kind of kicked everything off. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But you see, that was like understandable and palatable for mainstream because it was attached to the NBA. So people then automatically think, okay, 
this is really well positioned, obviously by Top Shots, and I get this because it's part of the NBA. But I think in general, NFTs weren't really a thing. And I think we look back on it now and we think, how do we not get more coverage? But I just, I don't think it was really at the forefront of people's minds then. You know, I think NFTs have just absolutely exploded. So now every celebrity is posting about it and you've got amazing influencers getting involved. So I think number one, NFTs were just not really spoken about. And I think number two, when you have this really utility focused NFT like Zed Run, where it's got layers of complexity, it's racing, owning, breeding, trading, uh, you know, and then you have this like really committed community. I think mainstream media looks at that and goes, this is a little bit too niche for us. It's interesting on a number of levels. Well, number one, yeah, Top Shot is definitely like just having covered this space again, like before it was cool. Uh, I'll give you a little anecdote. We wrote about Top Shot um, at Alternative Assets back in January. Yes. And there was like a few people talking about it. It was kind of like this, you know, underground-y kind of thing. But because the NBA was attached, it was getting some media, you know? But it still took like another month. And I all I remember is I checked my organic search traffic rankings every morning in um, Google Search Console. And one day, all of a sudden, the Top Shot article that we wrote just started skyrocketing in popularity. And when you see, it's like overnight, right? It was crazy. Well, I think it was like a Mark Cuban tweet or something. And it was like, oh, for ever since then, it's just been on fire. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Like you're saying, like in January, NFTs were so underground. And then like we look at it now and we think, oh, these things have been around forever and everyone's been talking about it, but it's, it's only been a few months. But NFTs are still confusing to a lot of people. And, you know, part of what we do at Alternative Assets is try to make sense of this world for everyone, right? Like our, our audience is definitely a lot of early adopters, but it's also a lot of, you know, kind of more traditional finance folks. So we really try to, to bridge those worlds. And, and that's why I think one of your strengths, what I think you do really well is how easy and accessible you guys actually make everything the concept sure there's some confusion there you know it's still a new world and there's a lot going on it's but you go to the site and you're watching a race live you're just the layout and design is really straightforward it's there's definitely a little confusion about how to buy a horse and how all of that works but i think you guys have just made it so accessible and i think that's a big part of your success as well yeah, man, thanks. I, I hope so. You know, like with us, there's kind of three pillars if I had to give an insight into how we make decisions at said, right? There's obviously more to it than this, but it's like, it's ease of use. So we don't want to be like a crypto gods only platform. Like we want everyone to kind of be able to come in and play the game and have fun. Number two is like longevity of the ecosystem because we want early adopters and later adopters to enjoy it. And then number three, it's just simply just the word community, right? So when you look at those three things, it all kind of starts with that ease of use. And it's not perfect now, right? Like we're still in beta, but you, you can't ever like sleep on something like that. Do you know what I mean? So you always have to be working to make it easier. Because I mean, I'll be honest, like I still get confused on some blockchain platforms, like every day, man. Like someone will tell me about a new blockchain platform and it's like, you have to wrap this and then you've got to bridge this and you've got to transact this. And it's like, <laughs> man, I just close my laptop and I like cry eventually it's so confusing sometimes and you know what like we still have some of those headaches as well like there's still like things like wrapped ETH and and ethereum and it is difficult for the mainstream person but what i'm really happy about in terms of where we're heading and where like the industry in general seems to be looking is like finally starting to acknowledge the more mainstream users to say okay you know what these guys don't have to understand everything about crypto it's not this mega fan thing we just want to use the technology in the back end to make it better for these mainstream users. It's almost like this could still exist even if crypto wasn't around. It just is made a lot easier and it made a lot more streamlined with crypto, I think. You see that? And that's uh, like a lot of people don't speak about this. Like I know some of the guys that work at the crypto companies and the NFT companies, it's like crypto is, you know, it's crypto mega fans. Like I'm a crypto mega fan. Don't get me wrong. I'm as much of a degenerate as the, as the next guy. But at the end of the day, I think what people sometimes miss is that blockchain is really empowering. It's, it doesn't have to be at the forefront. It doesn't have to be the celebrity. Like the game experience is the celebrity. That's what's at the forefront. Like, and that's one of our goals, right? Is, is we want people to come in and 
Z run should feel as great as a triple A game. It should be, you should want to play Z run just because it's such a well-made game and it's such a, an easy to use platform that it's, it's just amazing. And then the blockchain is, is just this added extra. You know, the blockchain at the end of the day is there to empower ownership. It's just an empowering mechanism. It doesn't have to be what everyone joins the platform for. And I think, I mean, it's hard to sometimes be like, to kind of be neutral on that when you're behind the scenes and you're building that out because you see the amazing things that it can do. But I think you're 100% right. Like, you know, blockchain is an empowering mechanism, but it's not not the reason that a lot of people are there. I think Zed Run would succeed even if real finances had nothing to do with it. Like if it was just a pure game that you had on Xbox or whatever, right? It's that much fun. Obviously, the the real money behind it makes, you know, kicks everything up a notch. So let's talk about the game mechanics a little bit. Um, I think we've we've uh, kind of skipped over that a little. So it all starts with the horses. Now, this is what I think blew my mind uh, when I first learned about Zed Run was just how much thought went into the creation of this world, right? Like, you, you know, you read the Satoshi white paper and it's just clear that it's just, that's almost otherworldly as well. It's like the amount of thought that went into that, right? That's kind of how I feel about about Zed Run as well. Um, so for, for the audience, uh, for those who don't know, all of these horses, each horse has a prowess, which is determined by a few factors. You've got the uh, genotype and the bloodline. The rarer the pedigree, the faster the horse, generally speaking, and the more expensive uh, the ownership of that horse. So there was a first generation of available horses that were known as the Genesis breed. Only 38,000 of those will ever be put into circulation. And I'm not sure actually how many already have been put into circulation. Can you speak to that? Do you know? Quite a lot. I think more than half have already been put into circulation. Don't quote me on that because I haven't checked the, the numbers in a while. But we've we've been pretty aggressive at putting the, the Genesis resources in people's hands, which is exciting. So you've got the Genesis out there and there's four bloodlines. Each, each has a different level of scarcity. And each individual horse has a genotype, which is kind of like a serial number on a NFT trading card, right? It's um, unique. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. It's just to make it unique. And so the closer that that number, that serial number is to one, the more pure, the more valuable, the more OG the horse, so to speak. And when the horses are bred, uh, so like if a horse that's like a 27 breeds with like a 10, the resulting horse has a 37 for that number. Is that, is that right? Hundred percent. Okay, so everyone's probably wondering. So, how do you buy these horses? How do you race them? So, the, the fascinating thing when I first got to Zed Run was, well, you know, I got, I got a big fat notice saying the stables are closed, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, well, it turns out that you only release horses like many NFTs. They're released in drops, and so the last drop was on May seventh. The next one is coming up soon. I just got an email about it. When's the next one? It's 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 pretty soon. You nearly you nearly caught me there for the exact date, but it's it's coming pretty soon. <laughs> okay, so you got You got to uh, pay attention when these drops because these drops happen and these horses sell out fast, really fast. Now, if you don't get a horse at the drop, that's okay. You can still buy them on uh, the secondary markets, which we'll definitely get into just in a bit. But in the meantime, no horses can be purchased from Zed Run. They can only be purchased during the drop. So my question for you is, how do you guys think about managing the supply and demand? You, you mentioned earlier, you know, one of your, your core tenets is the longevity of the ecosystem. So how do you think about supply and demand in terms of longevity of the ecosystem, and especially with a, a marketplace that is just growing by um, thousands and thousands of new people every month? Yeah, 100%, man. Like, you hit the nail on the head. So, you know, selling and, and the supply and demand, it's not as easy as you'd sometimes think, you know. So, like, obviously, as a from a business point of view, like, we would love to sell all of our Genesis resources as aggressively as possible and as quickly as possible because you're making a sale. And, you know, when businesses make sales, that's a good thing. They make money. But the problem for us, again, is that it's one of those guarding pillars is how do we create longevity through the ecosystem? How do we not just set this up for today? How do we kind of let people prosper, you know, as for, for as long of a time as possible? So whenever we do these drops, we're always really conscious about supply. Like we don't want to ever like flood the market because the main thing that we get worried about is that you've got these members who have come before and they the OG members and, and even the later adopters and they've bought these horses. 
And the worst thing that we could then do for them is just go and flood the market with our horses, you know, because we're then taking all of that kind of, let's say, potential revenue, actually, and potential attention, and we're driving it back to ourselves. So that's something that we, that we don't want to do. But also what happens then is that if we go and we flood the market, we undercut the value of everyone else's stables and their holdings. Again, like the last thing we want to do. If you look at how we're doing the Genesis racehorses, I mean, we've limited Genesis racehorses for a reason. We don't want, you know, the buying and the selling to be dependent on Z in the long run. We want stable owners to be the ecosystem. We want them to almost run the ecosystem. But it has to be in a well thought out way that we distribute supply to the market deliberately. So there has to be thought behind that. So, you know, we used to have an open marketplace and then as our community started growing really quickly, we kind of sat back and we thought, you know what, the market is kind of flooding right now, which is, you know, if we were that kind of business, it would have been okay for us because we're making sales and we're making revenue. But if you started to look at what was happening to some of the OG members and the guys who have come before, and they came during the early days, is that it was almost, it was flooding the market and we were undercutting what they had, they had done and what they had built and what they owned. And so that was a big reason why we pulled the open marketplace is because we said, you know what, this is really not the way to do it um, for the community. And it's also just, it doesn't create longevity. And that's where we kind of came about the drops. And if I had to be honest with the drops, we also just wanted our users to have a little bit more fun. Like we thought that the open marketplace was maybe just like a little bit boring. And we got a lot of feedback that drops were fun. And, it, you know, there was this hype and excitement and it's chaotic, but at least you feel a part of something. So that's kind of where, you know, the genesis um, supply and demand question came in is how do we stop that flooding of the market how do we not undercut people and the community it's great stuff the drops absolutely build hype so i mean another anecdote here with our uh, alternative assets we have a, a special nft newsletter that goes out every week and we cover nft drops um you know in the digital artwork space and music and uh the most popular issue we've ever done was about the uh the may 7th zed run drop so people are super keen to learn more about it um i want to talk about breeding for a moment so one of the fascinating things and what makes this so real this other world so real is that you know you you can earn a real return on zed run as you know in, uh, an investment not just by racing but by by breeding your the horses in your stable in fact i've heard in I could be off, but I've heard that about a third or just under a third of all racehorses in circulation are offspring created by stable owners today in the marketplace. That's right? Yes. Got a healthy breeding ecosystem. Yeah. And so the breeders, I mean, th this is a whole other way to earn money with, with Zed Run. Uh, the breeders set their own prices. I know, I know you guys have a minimum breeding price. And you, you, I mean, you would know exactly how much they're worth, uh, I would imagine. And you can kind of help with the, the pricing, but the pricing is more than just the um, traits. It's also, you know, the name, the color. Exactly. Just like real horses. And so I think one of the fascinating things, what I really wanted to ask you about is some of the changes you've made to breeding recently. So uh, you guys have introduced puberty into the ecosystem, the concept of puberty. And it sounds like the reason you did this is to try to stop kind of the market getting flooded with, I would imagine, top tier horses. Am I, is that right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's, I think in the simplest way to put it, it's just another supply and demand issue, right? So when we opened breeding last, man, it was crazy. We had something like, I might be wrong, but like for that little period where it was those few days that we reopened breeding, we had 8,000 horses bred. 8,000 horses into the ecosystem, right? And again, if we go back to like longevity and sustainability, like when you have something getting, getting flooded like that, you're probably not building something sustainable. So again, it's great for us because there's people flooding to the platform and they're using the platform and it's a lot of hype and it's, it's great for the short term. And, you know, it's also great for the community. We want to, to keep breeding open, but the problem is when you start seeing those kind of numbers happen. And again, like we've gone from a community of, of like a thousand people to 50,000 people really quickly. And with that comes some changes. And, you know, we have for breeding, we had to step back and we've changed limits and we've introduced puberty, like you were saying, um, you know, and all of those things is ju it's, it's just to create and to almost mature the ecosystem. So, I mean, we've always wanted to change breeding. We just didn't think we'd have to do it so quickly. We thought it would grow a bit slower. 
and we could make these changes incrementally. But what ended up happening is when we opened reading, we saw, okay, this we can't do this incrementally. We have to go to the drawing board and we're going to have to really think about this and we have to get it right. And then we need to release it again. And also that's why breeding has taken some time is because it's not as easy as just saying, okay, what is the best decision for the business? This is how we're going to do breeding. It's a question of how do we, what decisions do we need to make with breeding to sustain this environment and this ecosystem for a really long time? Like when we leave beta and in five or 10 years. And so all of these breeding limits and all of these, you know, the age related breeding, it's just to kind of create a more realistic environment. You know, it's to create a more realistic environment, but it's also to stop this flooding of the market again so that, you know, everyone who's come before, they don't have to then get undercut and they don't get left on the sidelines going, wow, okay, well, I was here really early and I bred these horses, but now there's 30,000 new horses and where do I live in this ecosystem? There's a realistic component to it as well, obviously, like you said, right? Like, I mean, you in real life, you can't breed the day you're born. (laughs) So it only makes sense that you would introduce something like um, a a puberty period, uh, which um, I believe you guys, it's about a year or is it a, a month? I think it's it's a month. Okay, so um, for a month, the horse cannot breed, which um, which makes sense. But it's also you guys have such a, I mean, you basically can play God with the the marketplace, um, which is is really fascinating. But it also allows you to be so fair, right? And you know, you guys clearly care about the long term integrity of the marketplace. So there, I think there's a lot of trust there from the community, knowing that you guys will do the right thing with the market. And, and there'll be some people complaining here and there. I mean, every time Facebook makes a change, it's but that's okay, right? Yeah, you try and you try and keep as many of your community happy. And I think what's I think maybe what's something that's slightly difficult is that again, like something that we try not to do is play God. And you know, it's like with this upcoming drop. Like the reason we send a format is because we want to build the drop around what people are thinking because we know that we don't know everything about Z. Like some of our community members are much smarter than us. But we also kind of want to give people what they want in a sustainable way. So it's like, you know, we can't control a lot in the game, which I know sounds weird. Like we can't control racing algorithms and horse attributes. Like, you know, that's how NFTs work. It's your NFT. So I think it's also just nice for us sometimes to have a little bit of control over the vision, like through the drops and when breeding happens. So let's talk about the racing algorithm, because that's the big question on everyone's mind, right? You talk about playing God and everyone wants to know, do you have control over it? And so I think it's important for everyone to understand exactly how this algorithm is constructed. So I wish we had control over it. Let me say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so, but the way you've architected, it's really great. So from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you basically, for each race, you run uh, a simulation uh, uh, about... A few thousand simulations. Okay. And then those simulations obviously are based on the math and based on um, the algorithm. But then you, you are essentially randomly choosing one of those simulations and that's the race. Exactly. So the algo then randomly picks one. So it, it biases towards serendipity in a way. Well, exactly, right? Like that's what happens in the real world. So when we got... And I'm going to try and keep the algorithm like definition as simple as possible because I think we spend a lot of time like trying to dig into the back end of it and we're not again mainstream like the way that it works is we went and we got an expert to come out and to help us to imagine how the real world performs in terms of horses in a mathematical way because if we can almost quantify that and we can introduce the correct amount of randomization then we can almost replicate the real world yeah and what then happens is, is, so yeah, you've got this racing algorithm. It takes all the attributes from the horses and it runs all of these likely case scenarios. And then it randomly picks one. Yeah. Because that's essentially what happens in the real world. Is that, yeah, you've got 10 horses that show up on the day and there might be some favorites, but you never really know what's going to happen. And that's essentially how the algorithm works. And is it, it's true that when a horse wins, they're slightly more likely to win subsequent races based on again real world dynamics you get more money attention um maybe better training uh in the real world so there is an increased chance of that horse continuing to perform better um so you've baked that into the into the algorithm as well see so that's not really an attribute of it right now because the thing is it's so random right so you can't really introduce this like building upon mechanism in a fair way if things are randomized because then you're starting to 
interfere with that randomization. So it, we don't really have any of those attributes built in. I can say, and maybe I'll get in trouble for saying this, but let me just say it anyway, is that we can't change the algo, but we can start introducing um, new attributes that we've planned from the beginning, things like fatigue and things like that. So those kind of attributes are not prevalent yet, and they're not part of the game yet. Interesting. Okay, so this is exactly what, you know, how the real world works. There, There is so much, for, for all the horse um, race fans out there, we all know how random winners can be. And that that is definitely something we you, you you guys want to replicate with said run. I mean, take the Kentucky Derby last month. I mean, the winning horse, Medina Spirit, that that horse. Now, the, well, the horse actually has really good bloodlines, I, I found out recently. But still, that horse was only purchased for $1,000 uh, originally. I mean, <laughs> that's crazy. Right? Which is Which is insane. And so there are black swan events. Yes, it's these underdog victories, which you love. No, exactly. And that's why I think, uh, like, you'll see that with for newbies and mainstream users. Like, yes, it's a lottery ticket. Like, if you buy a higher genotype and a more expensive horse, you do have a, a higher chance of having a winner, just like the real world. But that doesn't mean that a, a you know, a Z10, which is a slightly less rare horse, isn't going to be a champion, you know? And... That's the real world. What's really fascinating about the way you've constructed the algorithm is I feel like you guys are baking serendipity into your uh, algorithm more than a lot of social networks. And I think what's it's kind of a tangent, but I'm going to go with it because, you know, I mean, you look at like Twitter and Facebook and we know that we're creating filter bubbles for ourselves. And that's not a good thing. You want serendipity in life. We used to have it before algorithmic reach became so strong and wide. It's so opposed to nature, right? It's so opposed to what we are used to as people. Absolutely. So so how far do you want to take it? I mean, you think about the number of black swan events that you can you can have. I mean, unlike, you know, we talked about Tam- how these are similar to Tamagotchi pets, and I certainly wasn't the first to make that comparison. But, um, you know, unlike Tamagotchi pets, you know, the Zedron horses, they don't die. They don't get injured. No. Yeah, yet. How far do you want to take this stuff while still being kind of true to reality, but also fair to purchasers? I mean, this is, it's really fascinating questions, you know? Yeah, I think, I think the, the social media comparison is really interesting because I, you know, sometimes, I mean, we do get some complaints about the racing algorithm sometimes where people want it to be less random. And like, I can see where that's coming from because, you know, you want predictability when you make an investment um, on like a yield generating NFT, which is also what a Z run horse is. You want predictability, but it's just, it's not how life works. And we've seen this like uproar and this anger come from people who have stopped experiencing that in social media where, you know, social dilemma came out on Netflix and it kind of came to the forefront and people found out like, wait, so someone else is determining what I'm consuming, what I'm seeing, what I'm interacting with. And the anger that came out with that, I mean, I was angry, right? Like, who wouldn't be angry? That's not what, that's not how life works. Like, it's not a part of how a natural mechanism works. And, you know, having this, like, I mean, it can be dramatized, but having this, like, big brother controlling what you see and what you experience, it's it's a scary concept. So, you know, for us, I think it's always that balance. So, like, asking us how far we want to take it, like, we never want to stray from that serendipity. We don't want to stray from that because that's not how life works. It's not our horse racing works. Like when we start removing that and when we start instituting control from our end, we've failed, in my opinion, because that's not a fair ecosystem. That's not a democratized ecosystem for our users because that's not ownership either. Yeah, you've paid for an NFT, but if I can have any control in how that NFT interacts with something, you're not owning that thing. So then we failed, you know, on our kind of like mission. It really is an absolutely fascinating dynamic. Like with alternative assets, we cover all sorts of um, investment opportunities. And when you talk about digital assets, you say the word digital assets, that means 10 different things to 10 different people, right? To some people, that means websites. To some people, it means NBA top shots. To some people, it it can mean anything. Now I look at Zedron and I think it's almost like the ultimate like digital asset. And the reason is because it's an active investment like you have the ability to give yourself an edge and basically make your investment worth more through your own sweat yeah but i 
think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the important thing that you're saying here is that as much as this is an investment, as much as it's a digital asset, a recognized digital asset, first and foremost, Zed Run is a game. And that is what people have to remember. 100%. Like, you know, from an investment point of view, I love that. Like, and it's a balance, right? So yes, like from our point of view, from the team, we're building a game. But at the same time, we want your game assets to be valuable, which is a fine line, right? That's difficult to balance. But what you've said there is exactly the balance that we're trying to have. Like, yes, come into Zedron, have fun, have that AAA gaming experience. But for the first time, one of the first times at least, you're able to own an asset and your efforts affect the yield, right? It's amazing. And this is what I was, I was speaking to one of our um, a team member and I were having this conversation the other day. And I haven't raced for two weeks or something like that while we've been fixing certain things. And he's had a few races and we were speaking about it from an investment point of view. And it's interesting because, you know, he's gone and he hasn't won a lot of races, but I think he's had like two or three third places and things like that. And he's earned like maybe $200 or $100 or something like that. And it's so interesting because you stop having that yield when you don't put effort in. And, and it's, it is so active. So I haven't earned anything on my racehorse, for example, because I haven't been active in it and I haven't been playing the game. But And that's where the tie-in comes in, is that that active investment, that that sweat and effort of the of the activity is actually playing the game. And if we can do that, like if we can make it so that it's as enjoyable to play a AAA game and you are actively investing and earning a yield, then we've done our job really well. You know, so many NFT investment opportunities, and, and, and I can say this because we cover it, and it's also the truth, but let's be honest, like a lot of NFT investment opportunities are based on kind of greater fool theory, right? Not all of them, okay? Not even close to all of them, but uh, a lot of them are. It's a part of it, for sure, for, for some of them, uh, but not this. This is a true digital asset, true ownership. It's a, a game with valuable digital assets. And I think you've uh, you've struck the balance very, very well so far. So let's talk future. Let's talk about the future. Man, so many different directions you guys can go. Um, I think that obviously, you know, without getting into a product roadmap discussion, which incidentally, as a product manager, I would love to do. Um, <laughs> I, I think that there are so many different opportunities that you guys have. I think one of them is with like the sub economy. And so there's really some fascinating stuff happening with the sub-economy. So obviously the secondary market is huge. It's literally where horses are purchased when there's no drops. Uh, OpenSea is what you guys have worked with. Uh, but there's also, there's new sub-economy, there's new sub-economies, I should say, popping up. There's uh, consultants now, Zedrun Consulting is a thing. There's advice. So, you know, what, what aspects of the sub-economy are most interesting to you? So I think with the sub-economy, and this might sound really counterintuitive, again, as like speaking from a business point of view, but like the sub-economy for us is more about community. Like we don't have any immediate plans for ourselves to kind of enter that and to take any market share because the way that we're viewing it is that if we do do that, we're taking market share away from community. So our kind of main focus with sub-economy like consulting and you know all of these like data analytic sites and, uh, you know, you just have Doofy Racing and Zed Gazette and Poseidon. That is, for us, it's more about how do we empower the sub-economy right now. I think maybe in the future, we would look into how we could become involved to give it a leg up and to pour, like, you know, the proverbial rocket fuel on it. But for us, the sub-economy is more about how do we foster a really healthy ecosystem for the users to also monetize their experience. Like, if we can help community members, like if we can have people come into Zed and not just monetize the game, but monetize the ecosystem around that, again, like I think that is, that's the aim for us right now with the sub-economy. So the the only risk with doing that, yeah, I won't say it's a, a big risk, but there is a a little bit of a black market risk there. Now, I think the fact that we're all, I mean, that this is all backed by NFTs on the blockchain, the 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 black market risk has greatly reduced. Yes, with the transparency of the blockchain, it is it is a reduction. Yes, but still, you know, you talk about empowering the the sub economies. At the same time, there's something to be said about owning the 
the marketplace, the some of the sub marketplaces as well. Do you have any thoughts on on maybe like what which ones you want to control and which ones you would rather let unfold in their own way? I think control is maybe the wrong word. I think it's more about us looking at where we want to get involved and where we don't want to get involved. And the way that we view it right now is like that. It's exactly like you're saying. Like we don't want a black market element of things like scams and theft and people taking advantage of our community. Do we want to step in and start controlling things that live outside our ecosystem? No, that's not really, I think that will be very against how we are trying to build out our ecosystem. But it's a good question because it's something that, that becomes really difficult when you build these decentralized ecosystems, right? Is that where do you step in? Where do you not step in? How can you step in? Because I think that it's one of those things where we would love to not have any kind of nefarious activities going on around Z, like the scams and phishing and things like that. But unfortunately, as the community grows, we're going to have those things. And we'll keep putting things in place that protect our community. Like we work on those things every single day. We have people that focus on that as their jobs. But I think it's always a thing of where where's the line? Where do we go too far? You know, where do we step in and start playing God and start controlling things too much? Because that's the last thing that we want to do. We don't want to step in and start controlling a piece of the sub-economies, for example, where we shouldn't actually be there. And I think the nature of blockchain, it does make that difficult. You know, so we can't control everything with blockchain, right? Because the users ultimately own the NFT. Like, you know, it's like you, you go and you try and you want to sell your horse to someone. And you do it in a, on a really dodgy Discord group and someone takes advantage of that. Like we can't step in because we don't own the NFT. We don't, we're not God in that scenario. And I think that is something that people need to also just understand is the risk of blockchain. Like I know people don't always want to talk about it, but when you decentralize things and you remove big brothers and you remove middlemen, it does become a concern. And it happens to like some of our smartest users, right? Because you want to foster this decentralized space, but sometimes people just take advantage of that. So I don't know the answer. It's something that we, we try and work on and, and we try and have involvement in as much as we can, but we can't really step over that line of removing ownership from people. Well, if there's one metaphor for what's happened with crypto over the last few years, it's what's happening right now with the metaverse is a microcosm of everything that's happened with crypto. And what I mean by that is you look at the metaverse and this is I'd love to really get into this with you because the metaverse is enabling virtual land ownership and development. And this is a extremely, extremely important trend that's about to to really come into the mainstream. Now, technically, this has existed for a while. I don't even know where it began. I guess maybe you could argue Second Life. But, you know, that was before the blockchain. Like it has been around, right? Like it's actually a pretty, like, I think for the OGs as well, like, you you know, land ownership is, is it is a pretty well-known concept. Mainstream, not yet. Exactly. Yeah, sorry. Uh, the mainstreaming of it is, is definitely the fascinating part. So, I mean, I look at some of these new blockchain games that are that are coming out soon, right? And you've got like Ember Sword, for example, which is coming out. For those who haven't heard of Ember Sword, the, the land inside the world of Ember Sword is going to be owned by the players completely. Each player can buy a plot of land and the, you have complete freedom to decide what buildings, resources to put on your land. So the game is basically shaped by the players and it kind of like evolves over time. But the landowners can earn money just like in real life where when people use the land, uh, taking, you know, like a fee from a shop or earnings from future sales um, of items that people drop on the plot. There's there's so many real life land opportunities that are um, about to go mainstream in the, in the metaverse. I think about how Zedrun plays into that. And I just I get so excited because, you know, you guys could have you could have landowners that own not only stables, but entire you know, racetracks. So you guys, you, you've thought about this before. What, what do you guys think of, the, of the, the metaverse and land ownership as it relates to Zedron? You know, we're, we're big fans of the metaverse. Again, especially Chris Ebbs, our, our creative wizard. He's uh, obviously very metaverse pro. And I think we all are because it does kind of take that ownership to the next level. It's like, think about playing your favorite game. I don't know how many gamers are out there, but think about, I don't know, Skyrim or Grand Theft Auto or whatever. And you have this, 
these worlds populated by things. And you live in that world for hours on end. You play that world and you go to the different castles and the buildings and things like that. To start having other players start shaping that and owning those buildings. Like when, like you were saying, like when you buy something from a shop or you, or you rent something, like that money goes to real world players and those real world players shape things. I think that's amazing. And it's definitely something like we're exploring, it said, actively. We don't know exactly how we would implement it, but things like racetracks, like have users own and build and design their own racetracks and let them put up prize pools, let them charge people to have races there. So imagine you have this guy who builds this absolutely amazing racetrack, like the best of the best in the Z you know, universe. And he says only the best horses can race here and it's really expensive and it's that really premium vibe. You know, like you get things like that cropping up. And then you have another place where it's like, yeah, for, for the, the lower tiered horses, here's your place in the metaverse and the ecosystem. You can still run races and you can still win races. And obviously... We have our own plans around that, but introducing that level of ownership to people is definitely something like we are actively exploring. It's the most mind-blowing concept. I mean, the more you think about the, I mean, you're right. You could make, uh, you could have the the track could have different properties and dynamics, and certain horses all of a sudden in in the sub economy are more geared towards that track, and then it changes breeding habits, and it's it's unbelievable and you know, when you just, when you keep going down that rabbit hole of thought, you start thinking about, oh my God. I mean, every single video game that I've ever loved, why couldn't it have the same marketplace dynamics? Like, like Rollercoaster Tycoon. I used to love that game, but I never made a dime off of it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it, it's just the possibilities are endless. Like you guys have created just an absolutely epic crypto gaming experience i think it's yeah it's a game but it's also kind of like the ultimate digital asset hats off to you all and what what a time to be alive (laughs) yeah man what a time to be alive you know when digital horse racing is possible you're living in a cool era of the world yep i wouldn't trade it for any other point in history that's for sure well travis thank you so much once again man it's an absolute honor thank you bro thanks yeah man it was awesome speaking to you thanks so much for having me man I'm a big fan. I'm going to be following you super close and um, good luck with the next drop and just keep on rocking, buddy. Thanks, Steven. Thanks, man. All right. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. We sure hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please be sure to subscribe and give us a nice review for this podcast. It means a lot. And remember, you can find a transcription of this episode along with all past issues of our weekly newsletter at our website, alternativeassets.club. See you next time.